Hi, this is Connie, and welcome to the 2019 Women in Histology podcast series, brought to you by the National Society for Histotechnology. This year, we're bringing to you three episodes that focus on the various career stages of women in our field. In this episode, we sat down with what we call our mid-career level. We spoke with Sharita Meyer-Gowan, who is the Chief Histologist and Preceptor at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Jamie Pert, who is the Program Director at Beaumont Health Systems Royal Oak in Michigan, and Priscilla Garcia, who is the Manager of Innovation and Process Improvement at Inform Diagnostics. Each of them shared their perspectives on everything from challenges that they're facing in the field to their wind-down strategies. We hope that you'll listen to this episode and take away from it a new perspective or just feel more connected to other women in histology. Thanks for listening and enjoy. First of all, welcome and thanks so much for being here. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing at Inform Diagnostics? Okay, uh, currently I'm actually in a manager role that is focused on process improvement and integration. So I've been a histology supervisor, um, histology manager, and then I switched over to process improvement to help get things going and, you know, take us and and, uh, help us with turnaround time and just work on some projects and stuff like that too. So I'm over technically innovation and process improvement. Do you like it? Uh, Yes, I think this role fits me very well. I get to be in the lab, still work, Uh, hands-on with histology, um, get my hands engrossing cytology and everything else as well, and bring on, you know, uh, new processes or trying them uh, and just get, you know, I'm I'm more in the meat of it uh, without being with the day-to-day. Actually, I'm still in the day-to-day headaches, but (laughs) I just added on some more projects. I also spoke with Sharita Meyer-Gausen. I asked her to explain a little bit more about what she's doing at MD Anderson Cancer Center. Well, I'm a chief histologist here at MD Anderson uh, Cancer Center in Houston and also a clinical preceptor for the School of Histotechnology for our uh, histotechnology students. And some of the work that we're involved in is uh, a lot of uh, basic science research with different types of models, animal models, and we also work with clinical trials. Our department is translational molecular pathology, and we work with transitioning a lot of the research studies into clinical trials, and we're the group that handles a lot of the samples and processing through to basic um, H&ER, hematoxin and staining, special stains, as well as immunohistochemistry and scanning for preservation for future studies. And we archive a lot of the, the hospital's tissue as well for future studies. So that's a lot of what we do here. And last but not least, I spoke with Jamie Pert. I am Jamie Pert, and I am the program director at Beaumont Hospital. Um, and we have both the histologic technician and histotechnologist program. She does a lot of work with the NSH um, as a volunteer, both within committees, but also she teaches a really important course with us annually at our convention. It's the HTHTL prep course. She's also working on an online HTHTL prep program through NSH, and she uh, probably has contributed to something, some resource that you have accessed. Making a career transition even if it's in the same organization, can be a challenge. Both Jamie and Priscilla shared with us a little bit about how they transitioned into their current roles. Here's Priscilla. Now, when you made this shift, was it something that you were looking to do, or is it just kind of something that they presented to you and you're like, great, or were you looking to kind of make a change and, um, and see where that would take you? It's a little bit of both. I, uh, we had um, some projects that were 
you know, on for like either, you know, for the processes, for the processing protocols, for uh, trying out new automation and everything else too. Um, I was already involved in that. I was the head of that. And then plus I had direct reports that were sort of being neglected. So it was, you know, trying to do both at the same time. And this was just a mutual decision to say like, okay, let's have you focus on this and, you know, get another headcount or another person to to help with the direct reports and stuff too. So it was a mutual business decision, but also um, something that I enjoyed too. So it actually worked out. Hey, so did you, was it your idea or did you guys just kind of, after a series of conversations? Uh, it wasn't, and, <laughs> no, it wasn't, it wasn't my idea. It was, it was sort of, I brought it up like, hey, I'm sort of drowning and <laughs> <laughs> I need some help. And they're just like, oh, well, we were talking about this and what do you think about it? And it was like a mutual decision and, and pairing up together. Um, it was my leader's uh, title that he came up with. Um, he's like, oh, I wanted to name it this. And we're like, okay, it's, it's just, you know, a project person. But it was a mutual decision. We came up together. But it was me bringing it up and saying, hey, um, this is too much. <laughs> now, it's hard to kind of speak up and say, this is too much. I can't handle it. Especially, I think if you're in the earlier stages of your career, right? Because you want to just say, I can do it all. I can do it all. And then one day you realize you can't do it all because uh, there's almost, only so much time in a day. Do you struggle with that at all? You know, at the beginning of my career, even as a lead and, and going into a supervisory role and, and stuff, it, it was um, very much, I have to like, I don't know if it's like a women's mentality too, you have to prove yourself, you have to go in and just take on and just go head first. So I, I was, I, I did that. And then like towards the middle, I was feeling burnt out. And I think it's common. And I see that a lot in the workplace that we, we, women just are burned out, not, not more typical than, than men, because we you know you have work-life balance and then you have other things too but you're just you become accustomed to being burnt out and that's not you have to come to that realization that that's not healthy and I had to come to that realization for myself and when I did then I was able to speak up and then I was able to say you know what like I have to take care of myself and in this environment sometimes it's easier to do when I worked in the hospital environment it, it is easier to say hey you know I, I need help with this or this and this but in a reference lab sometimes it, it's just you know, with turnaround time and, and the volume is, is shared different, um, you sort of feel guilty for saying like, I can't take on this project or I can't take this. And, and that's like a myth. <laughs> Why would yeah. you feel guilty for being burned out? You're, you're not supposed to. So it's, it's that realization that I can't, I think it came with, uh, you know, a little bit of both of me growing in the career and then also me growing as a person to say, hey, you know, this is, I have to take care of me and I have to be able to say no. And the art of saying no, I think is, is lost sometimes. And here's Jamie Pert. You know, you're program director now. Um, how did you make that transition into that role? I worked in the lab for six years and then, and I worked at a couple different labs. And then I transitioned to instructor into the program when a position opened. And from there, then I went into program director. And I kind of had always known from the beginning of getting in this career that this was the path I wanted to take because I knew the shortage of programs that were out there when I was trying to get into the program. Interesting. Was it relatively easy to go from the lab into that position? I thought so because our lab, in our lab, we taught as I, all of our bench techs have to take some sort of role in teaching when students rotate through the lab. Uh, and I yes. always enjoyed that. So it, what was difficult was the administration part of program director, you know, organizing the whole curriculum, keeping it going. That part was a learning curve for me, but I like change, so. 
We also discussed trends happening out in the lab and within the science. Here's Sharita with some of her perspectives. So IHC, uh, in-situ hybridization, uh, devices, Western blotting, those areas are, are really big. I'm, I was going to just say at one time, it was just, you know, for histologies or for histologists, um, you know, we really didn't have our hands in that. So that's why I, I think I also love the field of histology because we have, you know, embarked on a whole new dimension just besides the routine sectioning and processing of tissue, we're looking at other aspects. Priscilla Garcia shared similar thoughts. Where do you think uh, histology, like the next big thing is coming from? Instead of changes, I, I, I think there's more of additions coming. Uh, there's a lot of more testing coming with, you know, especially with ISH, uh, with the HER2 going to GI, HER2 going to, to some derm products. Like it's just, um, I think we're on a cusp of, of blending molecular really in with histology. So I could I could see a lot of that integration with that as well, especially IHC. I think it's and and to you know a lot of a lot of um things too I would like to see is that, you know, you have your IHC platforms and people learn how to do a machine, but there's very few that know the art of IHC. And so, you know, that's we push for the QIHC as well to still learn the mechanisms behind of what it's doing. I think if more people get involved in that then actually it, it it can go a lot faster, the integration. Um, but I do see a lot of more antibodies coming up and a lot of more tests. Unfortunately, I, I don't see anything on the market right now. I know that we were part of the automation, a big step into it when we were trying to get like an automated embedder or something like that too. I just don't see uh, that uh, in the near future. I think that it's still very manual, the grossing, the embedding, the you know microtomy of it. Um, I'm not seeing anything that really could replace that right now. Interestingly, Jamie also talks about the importance of the basics. And as a program director, it complements really nicely what Priscilla was just talking about. I do think that immunohistochemistry is kind of like another basic you have to teach everybody because where you go, it's part of the histology lab, no matter what. And um, people are using markers now, not just to diagnose, but also to find treatment options. So it's going to keep expanding. So I do think that that's bigger and bigger. And I've tried to make that more of our program for our students as well. In addition to the basics of special stains, cutting, and fixation. I think some of the other trends that are that I'm seeing, there are still the private labs out there where our techs have to learn to grow. Just like with our other groups that we've interviewed for this series, we asked Priscilla, Jamie, and Sharita to talk a little bit about why they think women in histology outnumber men, at least according to the 2016 NSH survey, where 81% of our members who responded identified as female. Here's Jamie. It is. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I mean, there's a lot of detail in our profession. I think it's a lot of attention to detail. Yeah following things, multitasking, and I think it just, that, <laughs> I, don't multitasking. I, don't. I know, but it's a good point. <laughs> it's kind of like there's more nursing, you know, a caring. We're just carrying in a different, we're caring for slides and tissue. Maybe it's a, it's a little bit, always been a little bit of a, of a woman's field uh, for the last, since I, for the last maybe 10 years, I've seen it consistently grow. And I think that women, um, Women network a lot easier and closer. Um, I know men do it on the on the corporate platform kind of thing too, um, but when it comes to you know introducing something, um, 
I don't, I don't, I don't actually know why, but it just seems like, um, like even the new hires we hire, their um, recommendations, and they tend to be women referring other women and stuff to this field. And I think that, you know, it gives you, uh, women are naturally caregivers, and um, you know, and if you're not in like direct, direct with patient care, this gives you another platform to, to work on that, to to help the patient to contribute to life. Um, behind the scenes and I think that we just naturally gravitate towards that but um, I don't actually know like why histology Uh, it's just always been since I've been in it uh, a nice uh, forum for for women to excel in. The the one thing that comes to mind as far as like the the I guess the higher female percentages is I think one I don't know if you experience this or not but a lot of people don't know about the profession histology they really don't know what it is, you know, or where where it's practiced or how it's practiced. They really have no idea about that. And I think that's one of the reasons why we may not see as many males. I mean, it's just not a, you know, well-known profession. Two, I think, I don't have numbers, so I, I don't want to just put that out there, but Total just, hypothesis. Yeah, I got you. yeah, total. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from where where I am here at the uh, MD Anderson, it just seems like in the beginning at the at the school here, there were more women that were enrolled mm-hmm. in histology. I mean, I've seen you know, just like historical pictures here, and there you see ladies in the labs with, you know, they they look like nurses. They have the like nicely pressed uh, white dresses on and you know their their scrub hats and so forth and it would during that time it was all women so i i think maybe historically the profession started out with more women and it just you know from there you know we really didn't grow into a larger population of men maybe because it's not so well known so if i had to tie those my two ideas sure. together that maybe it and that's just from my personal experiences you know, I'm reading from what I've known here at Anderson. Certification is another topic that came up in our talk. Here's Priscilla talking a little bit about her thoughts on whether or not professionals should be getting their HTHTL or other qualification. You have obviously, you know, staff that you work with and you probably see a lot of um, early career professionals coming in. Do you feel like it's important for them to be getting certified HTHTL or QIHC or any of those credentials? Do you think that those are important in, in this era that we're in? Oh, yes. Yes, I still do. Um, I'm a big proponent of that. I do. We still do these classes that I uh, probably have gone away from. I need to schedule some more. But we have, uh, we have a lot of new people that just graduated with Bachelors of Science that have no idea what they want to do. They know they don't want to teach, but they don't actually know uh, we start them off with like lab aids and grow them within. And we do offer, like after they do exposure classes on the weekend and everything else too, we try to say like, hey, if you're interested in this, we do offer some classes to get you prepared for your HT or your HTL. Um, we've seen a lot of success with that. I do try to steer them in a way that this is just not a job, this is a career. Like whether you're just starting and stuff too, you're dealing with patients' lives. There's a community out there. Like I think that when they get more involved, it becomes more some something where they can connect to or something that they know that it's bigger. Because mostly people just fall into histology. They really don't know that it exists. And then when they do, they they think it's just that place. And I'm just like, it's the whole world. So, you know, like opening it up and stuff too and, and try to get them connected. I think it helps. I know we have a lot of on-the-job 
trained individuals because I'm one of them. And for me, um, I, as I went through, you know, going through my career and gone through some of those areas, I'd learned that, you know, uh, certification is not a bad thing or uh, uh, qualification. You know, it's just another, you know, notch in your belt. And it opens you up to more experiences because a lot of times, you know, you may not have an opportunity to do a particular work on a particular project if you don't have that certification or qualification, or you may not have an opportunity to, um, you know, seek a, a new career, a new position uh, without that type of of, of qualification or certification. And even as an on-the-job trained person, it just, you know, it, it really opens you up to a lot of different things. So if you are, you know, open to that and, and want to, you know, go through and see different things and learn new, new techniques, I think it really helps. It's no surprise how Jamie Pert feels about certification. I think it is important for people that are serious about this career for certification. Um, one, I teach the prepping for it. So yes, I do, I'm a big proponent for it. I do think it's important for our career because it does show you have this level of knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, um, when you're coming into work someplace and it shows that you're able to at least meet those requirements and go forward in any type of laboratory. So I think it's a good basis for everybody. And I think it's important to have you know, just like any other profession, they have certifications and it's to show you are credentialed. So Jamie and Sharita also spoke to me a little bit about the challenges that they're facing in the profession, including personal challenges with work-life balance. What types of things right now are a challenge for you? Well, there's a couple. <laughs> there's, I find challenges in the work-life balance and then also when it comes to work I find challenging I find it challenging finding students who are highly motivated to stay in the career for a long term. So that's interesting you say that we um, spoke with a couple of our members who are later in their careers and they all mentioned a real similar thing they said that they're very challenged and that they go out and they advocate for the profession and then they don't see anybody really pursuing it. What do you think is a barrier of that? What are you seeing, especially because you're right there on the front lines in the program? I would say I have it either they have a really high level of passion for it or they're using it as a stepping stone to go into pathology assistant or move on. I feel like there's a lot of people who just want to move on and not appreciate what they're doing. Do you think that those are people that if that lack of like love of the of the science isn't there, do you think that they should that we should try to make an effort as an organization to try to keep them in it? Or what are you thinking on that? Feel like it could be a couple different things. There may be a lack of keeping concentration on things, which I don't see because I think in histology there's a lot of great opportunities. You can do such a variety of different things, which is why I love it. So I try to open the door to show them that, you know, you just don't have to work in a clinical lab. You can work in a research lab. You can teach. You can do all sorts of things. And I try to open their eyes to that so that they don't see sitting at a microtome for 40 hours. You Mm -hmm. know, you're supposed to do special stains, do immunohistochemistry, embed. There's all sorts of things you can do, but also maybe pay. Sure. I feel like people want more money. Let me ask you this question. Do you find it hard to say no at work? I do. 
you know, have you always found it hard or do you think that you have, it's gotten easier for you over the years, even though it's, it's still maybe hard? maybe gotten easier, but I feel like because I like what I do so much, like I want to help and I want to see things get better. So I want to be a part of things. All right. So what is your limit? Like when you absolutely have to say no, why? What is it that's a factor in that? There's no time. That's the only factor. Everything else, if I can make time for it, I get it done. Here's Sharita with her thoughts. Now you and I were just talking a little while ago. Um, we know you're pretty busy. Uh, you just had a, a little one recently and she's <laughs> yeah. probably keeping you busier now than she ever did because she's probably moving oh, around yeah. and creating yeah. chaos that you never imagined. Do you feel mm -hmm. the stress of that ever? Oh, we all have stressful times. I mean, I, I would be, you know, not human, <laughs> you know, inhuman, though. but, um, you know, it's just that you take for me, and I've always said this one day at a time, one day at a time is the, for me, because when I find myself, I'm like, oh my God, I have this to do at home, I have this to do for my students, or I have to do this for a project or something to do for work, you know, you have to prioritize you know you have to see what's important and for me family is important that's one of the first and foremost things and then everything kind of falls behind that so I, for me what helps is just kind of sit sitting down and say okay what can I tackle first you know first family of course that's no-brainer that's a done thing but everything else after that I just basically look say look you know this is you know, the resources that I have and the time that I can work with and, you know, I can get this done. Or if I have an obligation to someone else, you know, I just try to prioritize those things because especially in my area, we're a um, core resource lab and, you know, we work with a lot of different clients and projects and, you know, some things take more time, you know, than others as far as the research and development areas are concerned. So, Keeping things in perspective and keeping things transparent helps, you know, keep it, keep, keep me from, it keeps me from becoming so overwhelmed. So I think that's the best advice I can give. Just basically be, you know, realistic with yourself and with those that you're working with and to say, you know what, these are the things that I can do. And, you know, I'm going to give you a hundred percent on those things. And you know what, I might need a little bit more time here, you know, but you have to balance it all out in the end. So, don't stress yourself out, guys. You know, just take the time and prioritize everything and just one day at a time. Oh, that's great advice. I know that I am often amazed um, how difficult it is to be realistic and how much time we really have in the day. And, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so just to know, like, well, I know what I can do based on the time that's available. Um, so it's a huge challenge, obviously, to juggle and balance all of it. Uh, Goodness, yes. <laughs> what other, you know, challenges do you think you know, with not just family and work, but especially within work, are you, do you experience any other challenges right now? Or do you feel like you're kind of in a good flow in a good place? I feel like I'm in a good flow, but you know, you always have things that, you know, come up or pop up. I think, you know, communication is always something that I work towards, um, you know, improving because a lot of times when you have, especially, like I said, in our area, you know, different projects that come your way, you want to make sure that the expectations are clear. So communicating, you know, what you can do and, and the possibilities of a particular project and how things can be worked through is what, you know, makes it a lot easier, you know, and that's that, you know, that's over overcoming that, that challenge or that hurdle. Um, you know, in my area, because we work between clinical and research, you know, we 
they're different worlds and a lot of times those worlds don't meet until they have to meet. Mm -hmm. And I think working between those two areas, it's really important to kind of get to know the, 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 professionals that you're working with, you know, on whatever side it may be, if it's clinical or research, and kind of get an idea of what they do and what they're expecting and, and how you guys can make that happen, or if it's even possible, and that's why I'm saying being transparent, if something is not an actuality, you've done the research, you've done, you know, all your homework, and you see something is just not going to work out, maybe that's not the way to go about it, and say, you know what, here's an alternate route, something that we can help you with, and I think that's that's a challenge that we all have to overcome because you have, you know, some days when it's really demanding, I need this project right now, I needed it like yesterday, or I need, you know, this has to happen now, now, now. And I think that, you know, don't be afraid to speak up and say, you know what, we are working towards that end, but you need to be mindful of the fact that these things are happening. You know what, we are on schedule, this is going to work out just fine. And that's what keeps my day from being so chaotic. So yeah, and keeps the stress levels way down. My last question for these awesome histo pros was about how they unwind at the end of a long day, especially if that day was bad. I think I learned a thing or two. What is your wind down, calm down, cool down strategy? My wind down strategy is probably which is bad. It's a bad habit, but just sitting and watching TV. <laughs> TV that you don't have to like think about, like no news or anything, just like <laughs> some juicy gossip. Nice. TV show. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. And it's free for the most part, is, you know, if you don't count the actual payment that you make to like the cable provider. Right. <laughs> and if you can get a quiet moment, I don't really get quiet moments right now, but that's well, okay. Well, like I said, I like the chaos, so. Well, Jamie has three kids, so that's what she means. Um, and so, yeah, those quiet moments might be a little f fewer between or fewer, but um, awesome. Well, that's all I have. Um, I appreciate you chatting and, um, and you know, I hope you have a, a great day with some gossipy TV, maybe. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. Awesome. You know, we, they don't see our job as high complexity. And it's like, you have to orientate the specimen properly or you're not going to get a result. So, I mean, we have to know what we're doing. Absolutely. So, so. yeah, so that's where, you know, a lot of that conversation was yesterday. So, oh, that's well, good. Hopefully I added some value. Absolutely. My brain do. doesn't work as great. You had a busy day, you know, uh -huh. at work, you're tired, you get home. How do you relax? What is it your trick to deal? I, when I, if I'm just like, when I go home, and this may sound completely crazy, but I play with my daughter. Not crazy. And that sounds, that I just, you just don't understand. I mean, this joy came into my life on just, a, you know, almost a year ago, you know, 316, 18. And she is just, you know, so easygoing, just a relaxing child. I mean, before that, you know, just get home, listen to music, talk to my husband. And I'm not a big TV fan, so, you know, that was never a big deal. Or, you know, we go riding, or I would go riding or running. Um, when we had our dog, I would go running with the dog. But I'm, you know, really an outdoor person, but right now the weather's not so nice. So, you know, even when it becomes nice, we're taking my little girl outside and we're going to run and play and just enjoy life. You know, it's just like winding down and realizing what's important. And right now, 
you know, my family is the, one of the most important things. And, you know, that's how I relax because I'm home. <laughs> my safe place. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I do it. <laughs> well, that sounds great. I know that that's a yeah. preference of mine too. Well, that's it. We are, um, I have no more questions. Um, yeah. And I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Um, oh, my pleasure. So, so just honored to have you ask me. So I really enjoyed that. NSH has been awesome. And, you know, I, I love working with, you know, the, the, the group and look forward to bigger and brighter things and being a part of that as much as I can. So thank you so much. All right. Now, here's my last question. And it's, it's going to be an important one. I hope you're ready for it. Okay. You've okay. had a very stressful day, Priscilla, and you need to go blow off some steam. How do you do that? <laughs> uh, okay, so what do I do every day? No, I'm joking. Uh, so um, it, it depends what kind of frustration. Um, so there's different levels, I, I think, that I classify them in. If I'm having, like, a, a different stress, like, I just want to, like, scream and you have to, like, hold it in most of the day, then I tend to do... Um, I try to hit like a yoga class at my gym or I'll try to um, do something more healthier that way. Um, you know, I, I don't run, but maybe I'll walk a little fast, yeah. but um, you know, on the treadmill, but, uh, and sometimes I do, I just do go out and I, um, if it's like a, a really stressful day and I just want to be by myself, I do, you know, treat myself. I go out to, um, to eat dinner. I'll have either a glass of wine or, or, you know, a cold beer and I'll just sit and I'll just be quiet and have a good meal yes. and decompress <laughs> in the nice. corner of some restaurant or something and just like, just be quiet, <laughs> want to eat, some drink and just, and just calm down. Yeah. Just be left so, alone um, and I let try somebody to... else clean it up. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I try to just, um, some, uh, I'm always like, you know, uh, the best advice I had when I was a lead and I had a stressful time, my uh, lab director at the time was like, every time, like, don't go out and, and you know, uh, do something self-sabotaging or anything else. Do out and do self-care. Like, she was very big a proponent on when you're stressed to, you know, self-care. That's the best energy you can put into it to help. And so at an early age and at, um, early stage in my career I had that that motivation that had that direction that was just like you know do something that benefits you do something that benefits your body benefits your mind or something that that is beneficial beneficial instead of self-advertising don't go and just pig out or something and then feel bad about it you know just go and take care of yourself whether it's a pedicure whether it's a manicure whether it's you know taking a walk do something that's that's beneficial instead of um you know, and that'll help your stress level and that'll build better patterns. So, um, so that's what I just try to pass on when I see, you know, current leads or current supervisors, I'm just like, go take some time to self care. Um, because I think that, I think that that's sometimes just not, um, spoken. That's not, you know, directed, you know, (laughs) you're stressed out. What do I do? You know, we'll take care of yourself. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to check out the other two episodes in this series. And if you want more great NSH podcasts, you can search for us on iTunes with the search word Histotalks, or go to our podcasting channel, Podbean. Look for Histotalks. All of our podcasts are free. F-R-E-E, free. Oh.